All right, so if you weren't here last week, Jared uh, walked us through a psalm in order to show us the significance of the word of God. Now, especially as we start the new year, we're thinking through last year, 2023, what was good, what was bad. We want to start fresh. Uh, a lot of times for Christians, that starts with, uh, did I love the word and did I pray without ceasing? Uh, and here's verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 19. Allow these to remind you of how sweet and, and life-giving scripture is. Uh, and, then, and then hopefully that can just move us right into prayer. Verse 7 of Psalm 19 says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want renewal, wisdom, a glad heart, eyes lighting up? These um, are, are what we desire. There are no negative outcomes that come out of a love for the word. It's only good. It's only life-giving. The negative uh, comes from everything else that we, unfortunately, seek to fill ourselves with, whether it be absolute sin or good gifts that our Father gives to us that we distort and make into little gods that we worship. Uh, nothing else, though, uh, can do what the Word does for us, uh, as we saw last week. When we seek everything else. When we are meditating, uh, when we aren't meditating on these words, we can't see any good in truth, and like this thick fog that the world provides. Hopelessness begins to creep in in those seasons of life. And I've, I've heard from, from some of you, whether a part of an MC gathering or our members meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, um, hearing this kind of groaning as just this, this hopelessness starts to seek in. We know truth. We know something better is coming. Uh, we were at our MC gathering uh, at, at, at our, my house Wednesday night, uh, and, and someone said, like, I know it's going to be better. I, I know my hope is in that future glory I have with Jesus, but, like, honestly, it doesn't help right now. And it was, it was very nice, honest, of be, be a moment of being honest. It's just like, I know it, I believe it, but God, help me in my unbelief because I don't believe it right now. And so when we seek everything else, the hopelessness creeps in. The enemy accuses, the enemy deceives. We don't know what to do, where to turn. At that moment, what does our Father, our Heavenly Father, want for us? He wants us to cry out to Him. He wants us to bring it all to him because he's the only one who can truly help the only one who can truly heal and though we often forget he does not want us to clean ourselves up pick ourselves up figure out on our own before going to him because that's what we do with our earthly parents like the time i broke a window in my mom's house playing basketball i knew i could clean it up myself and pretend like everything was okay and act like i didn't know what happened to the window by the basketball goal i knew i could do all that it didn't fool her, but I tried. I tried to clean it all up. I tried to make everything okay, and it was fine. So it didn't fool her. Or when my GPA, unfortunately, uh, in college dipped, uh, to say the least, and I lost some scholarships. Maybe somebody could say, hey, amen, no, okay, nobody, okay, good. You're all perfect at school. Big brags, awesome. Good for you. I literally I could not help myself. I lost the money for school that I needed. I could not do anything for it, uh, but... I laid out all my reasons before I talked to my parents why this happened. Uh, somehow, you have to go to class to, to do well in school. But I, I laid out my other reasons, the things that like would make sense to my parents. I made a plan. 
that somehow involved me leaving my Xbox at my parents' house um, and Homer um, so as not to be a distraction. Uh, I did all this before letting them know and asking for help. I had to have a plan. I had to make sure they knew that I could do something on my own. I just need a little bit of help. Like, hey, Mom and Dad, I did all this, and here's why. I know it's, it's tough. You know, your son's not good at school, but I just need a little bit of help. It's called money. All right, I did all that, though, and I brought that to them. That is not our Heavenly Father. He requires nothing because he knows everything we could possibly do is nothing compared to who he is. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to go to him when everything else lets you down. And we see examples of this throughout Psalms, especially with a group of Psalms referred to as petition and lament Psalms, which is what chapter 38 belongs to. I chose chapter 38 uh, for today uh, for our focus on prayer simply because uh, this is the type of prayer I find myself praying lately. Now, I can assume a lot of you uh, can often find yourselves in the same season as we, as we read through this psalm. Maybe it's not uh, this extreme, but you can find yourself in the same season of this groaning, this, this woe is me, please help. So I'm hopeful we can all be encouraged by this chapter in psalms. The petition and lament psalms have some variation in, in structure, but mostly follow this template. First, addressing God, very simple. Uh, then the lament comes next, and then confidence in God after the lament, and then petition, asking God for something, and then ending with praise, always ending with praise. So we're going to read through Psalm 38. Uh, and, and during this time, uh, I, I really want you, it's, it's tough because this, this is a sermon, this is Sunday morning gathering, this, this is still this, but I want you to try to enter into this space where you can see yourself praying this. Even if you are in a season of life right now that is not this, that is, that is pretty good right now. I, I, I'm, I'm praising God more than I'm, I'm lamenting, but, I, but I'd like us to just see ourselves in this prayer uh, of, of David. So first, the address, God, uh, David addressing God. Verse one, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. In this address to God, David gets right to it. Uh, there, there is no tiptoeing. There is no fear. There is no avoiding why he's crying out right now. And we'll later see that David has clearly sinned here. We're not sure uh, which time in David's life. Like, we only know certain parts of David's life where he sinned. He lived a lot, a lot of life. And so maybe it was after Nathan came and rebuked him for Uriah and Bathsheba. Maybe it was that, but maybe it was just David has sinned. But we see clearly that David has sinned later on. He's not denying that sin. He is simply pleading to God that he not receive his just punishment. So how do you address your heavenly father? Do you approach God with fear? Do you treat God like a friend? You haven't texted in a while, but you need something from them. So you start with like, hey, how's it going? Like idle conversation, like, hey, I, I saw this funny thing and I thought about you. Now, hey, can I get this from you? Is God like that to you where you have to uh, ease into it before you just simply plead like, God, help me in this what is your relationship with God like? Verse 2, we get into uh, just the start of David's lamenting. 
And if you've ever read through Psalms, you know that um, these are not like chronologically written. Like, okay, Psalm 1, and then the next day David wrote this one. The next day David wrote this one. It's not that because we'd be worried about this dude even more so. Because uh, it jumps from, God, you are everything to me, praising God. And the next day, like, woe is me, I'm ruined. All right? So they're not chronological, but, but you know that if you've read through Psalms, there's a lot of lamenting that, that we can sometimes call complaining. There's lots of sorrow, and, and what I want to see later, right after this, is that this is okay. This is good. And so David's going to lament a lot in this chapter. So first, in verse 2, for your arrows have sunk into me, your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought very low. All day long I go around in mourning, for my insides are full of burning pain. There is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish in my heart. And so for you, uh, this may be extreme for you. You're like, I've had bad seasons, but man, David, like anguish in my heart. So, so this is where I, I want you to just really attempt to put yourself in, in David's spot here. Uh, and, and really just find that space. If it's right now for you, that's easy. But if it's somewhere else in, in your life, some experiences you've had where you're like, I, I know this is the closest where I got, or this is, I know exactly what David's talking about. And I know some of your stories, and I, and I can know where that was. But see two things here. Uh, with this part of David's prayer, first, he's clearly going through it. And it is clear, um, he's clear on God's part in this. It says, for your arrows have sunk into me. Your hand pressed down on me. There is no sound in, somebody, in my body because of your indignation. And then he's very clear that this is not God's doing. He says, these wounds, whatever they may be, are due to his sin, his foolishness. That's first. Despite the fact, though, I also want us to see that David is still lamenting his woes. God is, is, is allowing punishment to happen to David, and it's because of his sin and his foolishness. But, and, and God is in control of everything. God knows all this. God knows exactly what David's going to do and, and what he, where he's come from, but he's still lamenting his woes. He believes all this has stemmed from his sin, but he still groans to God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, about his problems. God wants us to lament because lamenting draws us closer to him. So then we get to the confidence in verse 9. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. And this is big. My sighing is not hidden from you. So verses 2 through 8 is just like all out, like woe is me, groaning. Just the, my insides are burning anguish in my heart. And then pause, take a breath. My every desire is for you. My sighing is not hidden from you. You might ask when we bring up the word lamenting, um, okay, uh, what is the difference between lamenting and complaining or, or grumbling uh, in, in some translations? 
Paul writes to the Philippians, do all things without grumbling. So what do we do with that? So we, we know we are not called to complain. It was one of the first uh, sermons or teaching times I heard at the BCM. Uh, uh, I remember being a freshman and then just hearing that uh, time. I'm like, whoo, I complain a lot as a college student. And you could see I lost my scholarships. I'm like, those teachers, they did it to me. I'm complaining about them, all right? Uh, we complain often. And so what is the difference? We see it clearly in at least Psalm 38 and throughout a lot of Psalms, David laments. And we can view it as sometimes as complaining. So what's the difference? What do we do with this? It is so easy to get caught in this mindset that lamenting about our struggles is something we should not do because it's complaining and therefore it's sin. Or it'll make me seem weak if I just lament about my struggles. Or if you're like me, we don't have everything under control and therefore I don't want to be a burden to anybody else. If I lament to someone or even lament to God, even though he could do everything, it's still like, I don't want to be a burden to God. It sounds silly saying it right now. But we, we don't want to be a burden. We, we don't want to seem like we don't have everything under control. We don't want to seem weak. We don't want to complain. There is a difference between lamenting and complaining. One we should not do and one we should often do. This is an excerpt from Rob Brockman uh, from the Gospel Coalition. He brings up how the Israelites uh, groaned when facing challenges in the desert. In their grief and their complaining, they proclaimed, we don't want God. We'd much rather return to the comforts of Egypt. And if you're reading through Exodus, you're like, what is going on? Like, are you serious, guys? Like, you saw where you were. You saw where you've come. And just because you got some hard times in the desert, you're like, take me back there. It's, it's ridiculous, but they are groaning. They're like, Moses, what have you done? But then uh, Brockman writes this. Grumbling is when our grief and anguish drives us not further into the promises and comfort of God, but rather farther away from God, the Israelites in this case. Not further into trusting God in the wilderness, but just back to something else, further away from what God has for them. And he continues, what it seems like sorrows and grief are our lot, and a season of hardship has been ordained for us, we can be tempted to desire the comforts we once had more than the purposes and promises of God. In the long dark nights of suffering, comfort and ease can quietly become idols that we look to for hope. We long for easier days, wish we could go back, we become angry at God for all the hardships we're encountering, and this forms a hardened heart and a deep lack of satisfaction in God and His purposes alone. But that is not Lament, that is grumbling. Yes, lament says, and he continues, confess your anguish, confess your pain, lay it out bare. However, lament then, this is big, directs us to turn our eyes upon Christ. The many comforts promised to us through the Holy Spirit, and we are reminded of the provision and contentment that comes in Christ. So, have you ever been to this point? Where like I'm gonna share with my MC, I'm gonna share with my dean. I'm gonna I'm gonna share with God like what is going on in my life, and that turns to just simply longing for when it was easier, or longing for something just to relieve this pain, this suffering, whatever that is, and it's not pointing us back to Jesus instead. 
as we cry out to God in, in constant, never-ceasing prayer, we can lament with confidence because we know that he will not turn us back. He won't give us a checklist of what we have to do to get back to the comfort. He won't have some silly advice that simply fills the space. Lamenting to God directs us to how he saves, how he has saved, how he will save, and how he provides through Jesus Christ. In prayer, if we're simply asking God to return us to the place where we found comfort, we are missing it. I am missing it. If I'm simply just, God, woe is me, please help me get back to that comfort, that peace that I had, that's not it. Instead, we should cry out, lament for Jesus, who is the ultimate and perfect peace and comfort beyond anything else that we could get back to. This is how we should lament in these seasons of life. This is how we should pray to God. So let's read the rest of David's lament-filled prayer. And then I'd like to get to maybe some more practical ideas about prayer. Next up, some more lament. Verse 10. My heart races, my strength leaves me. Even the light of my eyes has faded. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction. My relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set traps. Those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. I am like a deaf person. I do not hear. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. Then again, David takes a break. David takes a breath from his lament. To remember his hope and confidence is in the Lord. Verse 15. For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. And then more lament. Verse 16. For I said, don't let them rejoice over me, those who are arrogant toward me when I stumble. For I am about to fall. My pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and powerful. Many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good. I don't know about you, but I felt deeply I am anxious because of my sin. Then David ends his prayer with this final petition and then like a hint of praise to God. Verse 21. Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. It's just a hint, and if you're reading too quickly as you end this psalm, you would miss it. Because he first petitions. He, he's not asking uh, just for relief. He's not asking uh, just for a simple comfort. He is asking, do not abandon me. Don't be far from me. Help me. But in the end, this, this hint of praise, my Lord, my salvation. Throughout this prayer, it is clear that David is in physical, mental, emotional, all the above, pain. He desires God to remove all this pain. Of course he would. What human would desire to be in seasons like this? We want to be saved from our woes. But as he ends, he believes that ultimately his salvation is found in God, not his circumstances. This happens other times in Scripture. 
Jesus in the garden. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Jesus knows he is about to suffer more than anything else we could ever imagine. Then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, as he's praying in the garden. Then Paul, to the Corinthians, in chapter 12, uh, Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, the messenger of Satan, to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insult, hardship, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So can you, in, in, in times of sorrow, in times of hardship, times of just absolute pain, whatever you're going through right now or have been through, can you see yourself praying as David prays here? Where you are just honest with God. Like, here I am. Like, I'm, I'm not tiptoeing. I'm not trying to beat around the bush. I, I'm here to ask for help. And can you be honest with him and lament, not worried that you're feeling weak, not, not worried that you've got to fix some stuff before you come to him? Can you lament to him in order to be point, pointed back to Jesus? Can you have confidence that God will save you no matter what? And in the end, can you be confident that your salvation is not in your circumstances, is not with him taking away the pain, it's not with him wiping away the hardships right now. Instead, your salvation is and forever will be in Christ. So can we pray like that? And that's just Psalm 38. And this kind of leads us to uh, more practical things. So in the end, this question is, is okay, I see this one example of, of David's prayer. So then what about the other situations? How should we pray? Like, how do, we, how do we actually do this? Because if we start this new year, we, we, we've already got our Bible plan. That's really structured. You've got that nice Bible plan on your phone or whatever it is, some nice book. That's super structured. You're good to go. There's so many resources. But prayer, there's so many things that get in the way of a healthy prayer life. So many ways. And so I, I've just broken it down to three ways that we should pray. First, a dedicated time of prayer, and then praying throughout the day, and then finally praying with the body, praying with the church, praying with others. So first, a dedicated time of prayer. Hopefully, you can find some time in the mornings, uh, clear as you can be from distractions. And then again, some, some things attack that. Always there's something, the enemy is going to attack your prayer life. And so the things that attack uh, me over the years, some excuses, unfortunately, that I've made over the years. I can't get up that early. Uh, I'm falling asleep when I'm trying to pray, so what's the point? My kids are up at like 5 a.m. and they're distracting me. Or simply, I don't know how or what to pray. Or the not being able to get up in the morning, just get up. All right, that's, I'm speaking to myself as well. We just got to get up. Just wake up, like literally get out of the bed. I have to put my phone away from the bed so I actually stand up and then just hope and pray as I'm walking that I don't just go click and lay back down, all right? So for that, I'm just saying get up. We, we have to get up. And there might be that slight thing in the back of your head like, I just, 
I'm way better at praying at night. All right. I don't believe you, but good. If you're, if you're truly honestly doing that, that is awesome. I know that I used to say that all the time, especially in college. I'm like, well, I got the 8 a.m. class. Like, I wake up at 7.55 uh, to just, like, <laughs> throw a new shirt on, maybe, and then run to whatever I got to go to. All right? So I would use the same excuse, but I know it's not it. For so many reasons, we should be getting up in the mornings, but you don't have to. Okay? So for getting up in the mornings, if that's what you want to do, just get up. Speaking to myself as well. For those who don't know how to pray, once you actually get up, you succeeded, you got up, good job, then I would suggest praying the Bible. If you have a dedicated prayer life right now where you walk through certain things, you have a, a note in your phone where you're praying for certain people, you, you, you go through this every day, continue doing that. Whatever your consistent prayer life is in the mornings, at night, whatever it is for you, continue doing that. For those who are just at a loss, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pray. This is for you because uh, this is for me. Uh, I was just praying the Bible. Specifically, make it really easy, start with the Psalms. Don Whitney, in his very helpful book, Praying the Bible, says this about praying the Psalms. Joseph's not here. Y'all pray for Joseph. He's, like, stuck in Salt Lake City Airport right now with the weather and stuff. He would be so happy that I mentioned Don Whitney right now. But, oh, well, I just have to see it on the live thing. Now, when he says this in his book, literally called Praying the Bible, God wants us to praise him. And indeed, all those indwelled by his spirit yearn to praise him. But we have no way of knowing what sort of praises are worthy of our glorious God. This might be like you. Like, I, I yearn to pray. I yearn to praise God. I yearn to read my Bible. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. This is it. So he revealed... This is Whitney again. God revealed in the Psalms that praises, uh, the praises that express the yearnings of his spirit produces in us and which are appropriate for and consistent with his glory. As we pray the Psalms, therefore, we are returning to God words that he expressly inspired for us to speak and sing to him. So start with Psalm 1 or go in reverse. That's fine, too. I don't know. As you read through a chapter of Psalms, don't just tr try to read so many Psalms and don't try to pick and choose. Just start with a chapter in Psalms. And as you read through a chapter, speak to your Father about what comes to mind. Praise Him, lament, petition as you read the Psalms or other books of the Bible. The next question that kind of begs to be asked, do I have to be a scholar to know exactly what every word or phrase means in order to pray the Bible? Of course not. Because you are not prepping a sermon. You're not speaking uh, to a, a group of people where you have to know exactly what to say or I might be a heretic. Oh no, if I said the wrong thing. It's not what you're doing. You are speaking to your heavenly father who cares deeply for you. An example in his book, uh, Don Whitney brings up, is um, if the word Mark shows up, not the name. If, if I'm reading Psalm and the word Mark, Mark your whatever it is, and your friend Mark just comes to mind, that psalm is not about your friend Mark, obviously. If you tried to preach that sermon, like this is about Mark, you'd be lying. It, it would be wrong. But if Mark, your friend, comes to mind and you pray for Mark's situation, that is a good thing. So as you're praying through the Bible, as you are praying through the psalms, you are just simply speaking to your Father. For those who love digging and diving into hermeneutics, uh, this is where you 
have to simply separate the two, not become bogged down with meaning and, and, and trying to understand everything and just simply be with your father. There is time and there should be time for reading, understanding meaning, reading other books that explain this even more. But as you pray the Bible, simply speak with God, the father. So first, we want to have that dedicated prayer time, whatever it is, for whatever time it looks like for you. Just set aside 10, 30, 45, whatever it is for you, set aside this time to just pray through the Bible or whatever it looks like for you. If you have that consistent prayer time, we need silence, we need solitude, we need dedicated time to pray. We also need to pray throughout the day. First Thessalonians says this, rejoice always, pray constantly. Give thanks and everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray constantly. How do I do that? I can barely do the dedicated time. How do I pray constantly? This is not a dedicated time of prayer because after the calm, after the peaceful mornings, some of our houses are not like that, but as peaceful as they can get, after that, it is time to tackle the day and do whatever you need to do. Whatever needs to be done, whatever you do, it's, it's jobs, it's class, it's whatever season you're in, other things require your attention, and that is good, and that is okay. If I, uh, my principal walks into my class, and like my kids are like going wild, or I've just like, I've sent them out of the room, like go out and just good luck outside. He walks in, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Coach McCarty, this is my dedicated prayer time, second period, always, it's dedicated prayer time. That is not good. Great, you got dedicated prayer time. He would not be like, you know what, Jesse, good job. I'm going to watch your kids. He probably wouldn't do that, right? We need to work. We have to do these things. And so how do we pray throughout the day? This simply means that throughout my day, I am talking with dad. I'm, I'm giving thanks for the evidence of grace that I experience. I'm asking for help before my seventh period class gets there to me. I, I shared one gathering a while back. I was driving to an event that I was cooking for and selling burgers. Um, I didn't carve out a time before loading everything up uh, and, and leaving. I, I didn't plead to God that I would be successful, make tons of money, even if it was good things like I pray that I meet people. I didn't carve that time out. As I was driving, talking to God, I simply said, uh, Father, I hope this goes well. That's it. Just like talking to my parents on the phone about the same kind of event. I hope this goes well. It wasn't a plead. It wasn't anything. Just throughout my day, my speaking with the Father. So you have your dedicated prayer time throughout the day. Hopefully you are uh, just sending up praises to God, asking for help for minor things or, or, or big things, a constant conversation with Dad. And then finally, and if we're missing this, we're missing a lot, uh, praying with the church. So many things get in the way of prayer, like I said earlier, whether it's getting up in the mornings, uh, you know, distractions throughout the day, just getting bogged down, especially if you have a mentally and emotionally exhausting job. It's so hard to uh, just simply think and ponder on how good God is. Um, but praying with the church, um, I found that there are some really good things that get in the way of praying with the church. Now, for me specifically, I love being with the church, uh, whatever it is. If it is Sunday morning gatherings, Wednesdays, and we go hang out uh, and do chili cook-offs, and I watch people with pickleball because I don't want to embarrass myself, 
um, whatever it is, I love being with the church. And sometimes that takes away from actually praying with the church. So, for example, Wednesday night, we're at my house. Um, we, we eat dinner, and, and, and I uh, let everybody know, like, well, I want to pray together tonight. But in order to pray together and pray for one another, you have to know one another. And, and so we want to hear from each other. We want to hear from uh, what can we praise God about, what's, what, what is he doing in your life. And we want to know, like, what is the worst right now? Like, what can we lament with you for? Uh, what can we uh, ask God, petition God for in your life? And sometimes that time turns into just, man, we got to sit and listen. And, and, and if uh, Chandler uh, shares something that's going on with her life, and I just go, okay, good, next, uh, next one. What? That's not loving at all. Like I want the God, like I want the people of God to to gospel. I want them to like surround one another. And so it's so hard to get through every single thing, every single person. And so sometimes it just takes uh, somebody like Cullen to be like, "Hey Jesse, should we pray?" I'm like, "Thank you, Cullen. We do need to pray because I am getting so bogged down in a really good way, not in a bad way, with everything going on." And so to pray with the church first, ding ding ding. Obviously. You must be with the church and not just Sunday mornings. If we are not with God's people, if we are not uh, doing life together, this is not going to happen. Once we do that, uh, we, we know each other well. We know how um, each other uh, lives. We know what they're struggling with. We know what they're, what's good in their life right now. We know all these things. Then we need to set aside time to pray. So if that's you in your DNA, uh, your MC gathering, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that that happens naturally. That's not like a forced time. Oh, we've got to pray now. Oh, well, let's move on from having fun kind of thing. I hope that it's a natural part of your gatherings individually that you pray together. It doesn't have to just be what the crossing has put together, though, MCs and, and DNAs. With your family, with your close friend group, like pray with the church. But first, you got to be with the church, and then you got to know the church. And so there's so many obstacles in the way of prayer, but, but I'm hopeful that as we look to Psalms, Psalm 38, uh, and, and, and beyond, we can see is really, really quite simple to just have a late relationship with the Father, to lament, to praise, to petition, everything. He wants you to come to Him. And so my hope for you uh, 2024, as you you not see uh, a renewed prayer, prayer life as something to check off your, your box of to do. Like, I'm going to be way better. I'm going to be better at praying. I'm glad the motivation is there, but don't just simply see it as something you have to do. I'm, I'm hopeful that we as the Crossing Church can be people who are, are about the book, who love Scripture, who love the Word, who are dedicated to truth in the Word, and we are a people full of healthy prayer lives, consistent praying, praying with one another, dedicated prayer lives. I, I'm hopeful that that is what the crossing can be, not for, man, look how good we did in 2024. There's no way I'm going to get to 2025 and think like, man, I did a good job. I'm probably going to fail a lot. But if I can somewhat consistently have this prayer life, this, this renewed prayer life dedicated to God, lamenting, petitioning, praising God, I think that will be pretty successful. And so um, as we get to do uh, everywhere, we're going to move into a time of communion. When I lead communion, uh, I always pick out uh, a, a psalm, um, and, and that is just simply 
again, what Whitney said earlier, like God has given us the Psalms uh, to praise him uh, with. And we, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to ask for. We don't know how to praise. We don't know what to say. He's given it to us. And so uh, as you are uh, there in your seat, as you uh, want to kneel, go to the back, come up front, whatever is, is, is good for you right now, don't run into this, this, this mindset of uh, only hearing the enemy uh, accuse and deceive you, accuse you of not being good enough, that you have not had a consistent prayer life. You've never done these things. Therefore, you are not one of God's or deceiving you and, and making you think you have to uh, perform. You have to clean up before God, like banished the enemy. He has, he has no power over you in this time right now. Instead, simply run back to your father. Come to him with your woes, your lamenting. It's not complaining when you bring it to him. He wants to point you back to how he's already saved you, how he will save you, how he's saving you right now, how he provides for you every day. And so this time for you right now, I hope it is encouraging. I hope that you are running back to the father with open arms. And then when you're ready, you you are confident. I am saved, not because of what I can do, what I bring to the table. I am saved simply, simply, and, and majestically, and unimaginably by the work of Jesus on the cross. Then, come to the front, go to the back, uh, grab the elements for communion, return to your seat. And I'm going to read a psalm over us, and then we can uh, continue uh, worship. Uh, so this is for any 